Welcome to Actions Antidotes, your antidote to the mindset that keeps you settling for less. We live in an era of big data. There's a lot of data being collected, a lot of data being used, and a lot of it being used for many different purposes. And one of the things that's always fascinated me is how do we use this data for something good? How do we use this data for something that's really going to help humanity as opposed to the joke I always make? help Instagram identify the moment you get pregnant so they can bombard you with diaper ads. <laughs> My guest today, Maya Love, is a college basketball player, as well as the founder of Mile High Analytics, where she helps people and organizations uh, use their data for a lot of these kind of good outcomes. Maya, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Well, I'm so excited to have you here because I do want to understand, like, you know, we tapped into a lot of power with the, all of this data collection that started really in earnest roughly when Google became the default, you know, internet search around 20 yeah. years ago or something like that. And obviously, kind of like how money is, kind of like how influence is, all these things, they're all tools. They're tools that can be used for, they're neither good nor bad until they're used by someone to do a certain thing. What do you see as the biggest challenge in this era that we've kind of somewhat recently entered where we have all this data and want to use it for things that are really going to help humanity? Whew. Starting off with the, the heavy hitters. <laughs> <laughs> I think a main challenge is to understand that these things are tools. I think I come from Gen Z and probably on the older side of Gen Z where a lot of our experience with these tools per se actually were intertwined with identity. When you look at Instagram, it's less about networking or connecting with maybe a friend you, um, I mean, I know you used to have pen pals, you know, yep. that you kind of met in a nice Discord chat, but now it can easily become an identity, how many likes, how many posts, I have to have everything perfect layout. And so I think the first step is acknowledging that it is a tool, a very powerful tool with so much information and access out there. And with identifying it as a tool, I think next comes the educational piece, which I really like to be in that kind of wheelhouse with sports and data. There are so many ways to get out there and play, be active, and you can incorporate with data. So whether you're trying to perfect your shot, Steph Curry did that with the researcher at Berkeley using machine learning, or you're really just trying to understand, okay, how does a messy kick, you know, I'm, I'm just intrigued <laughs> six-year-old and, and getting out there and still going outside in nature. So I do see a balance of these tools, but kind of having to break it down and being very intentional. And I think that comes from the leaders around us and being intentional and how they're describing it, kind of the rules of play, um, but also just being innovative and not scared of it and allowing it in the classroom because as we've seen is so useful because people learn different ways yep. and it allows us different touch points to say, okay, this guy on YouTube, I liked his cadence. Again, doing Twitch. I love the way she outlined her how to study. And so again, there's just so many things that we're learning about ourselves. And at the same time, I think boundaries that come with anything good. What is the general process of using kind of these math, these numbers, statistics, whatever, to improve athletic performance? Because I think a lot of people tend to think of these things as 
far apart. You know, you go to high school and you're either mm. the nerd that loves numbers or you're the <laughs> right. athlete that loves to, to play the sport. What does the merging right. together kind of look like? I mean, my own personal story, it's all about packaging your, um, I use this word again, but just your story and your narrative. And so if I'm, say, a very strong defensive player and I'm getting ground balls, I'm I'm creating turnovers, that is something that I can communicate to a coach by saying, hey, um, my freshman year, you know, I was doing, averaging maybe four turnovers a game I'm on the other side of the team. Now my turnover rate is to eight. And just to just kind of fill in that type of narrative and saying, here you can see there's growth potential and also consistency to my dedication to the game. Um, but oftentimes I think I had a really cool teacher in AP statistics who allowed us to take a real world mm. example that impacted us and to study it. So I was able to study my own stats. I was able to say, okay, you know, maybe I have to work on the three pointer <laughs> a little yeah, bit more. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, the stats aren't growing, you know, just want to demonstrate that that's something that I'm committed to. But again, I think that type of innovation and that teacher willing for us to, you know, tell our own story and build it and get comfortable was just incredible. And I think definitely tip my hat to him. And is part of it also determining what to work on? And would the stats ever say something along the lines of, I'm just remembering my childhood and watching Shaq, and he was famous for being <laughs> such a powerful dunker and such a terrible free throw shooter. Right. Will right. the stats ever say like, okay, Shaq, it's okay that you can't shoot free throws as long as you keep doing what you're doing well, or would sometimes it say, <laughs> Hey, you know, you should work on this. That's the power of a team. There's stats and information. And then there's that culture piece. So of course, Jack, that's what I was going to say. Can you just hit two? <laughs> can, we get, <laughs> can we get three or four? But then on the other side, it's like, okay, if we're already going to have this negative margin, that means the rest of your team needs to fulfill it in some way or form. It's kind of like playing chess, really. It's like, all right, if Shaq's not going to make, you know, the nine free throws we need, we know we're going to have to get those nine points in the first half. Because again, some teams do amazing in the third quarter, some teams don't. And so if you know, however your team swings, it's like, okay, if we're at a deficit at minus three in the third quarter, then again, that first second, we're going to have to overload just for that. And so I think there's a lot of creativity and also just psychology, sports psychology. I think that's where you bring them in and say, okay, what's going on behind these free throws? What are you imagining? What do you need to imagine? And I think that's a great example of how people will always, always be in the middle of this data mix and yeah. of this kind of business insights. That's more what I see as opportunity and less as a, as a moment of fear of like, will I be replaced? Well, no, because who's going to study the brain and the things that are just so hard to put in numbers. Yeah. And a lot of the psychological stuff are hard to put into numbers and having yeah. studied some like natural as well as you know, social science, I know the difference. I know how, you know, in a natural science, uh, correlation coefficient of 0.75 is considered garbage. Whereas like mm. in social science, a correlation of 0.5 is a reason to party, you know, like there's, <laughs> right. there's like this huge difference between the erraticness of like how human behavior and psychology works versus how you can actually study, say, the force of gravity and the wind resistance and how right. they yeah. will impact the terminal velocity of a raindrop, right? 
two different sides, but they still have their <laughs> benefits. Yeah. Now, growing up, were you interested in basketball and athletics first and then math and numbers, or did they kind of come, you know, coincide with it? I I definitely think I was a very active in my youth, but I also really enjoyed school. And so I think I, I never could say I had one favorite subject, but I definitely sports, <laughs> if that was a subject. <laughs> yeah. I have to say I, I covered it all. I did ice skating, gymnastics, ballet, like it was just trying everything and seeing what stuck. But I think I really enjoyed basketball because the team aspect and how, again, you just don't rely on yourself. There's a lot of just life lessons of just committing to your role, committing to the dedication, a lot of the process you'll hear. But I would say math really came up in middle school where I just found myself not necessarily like great at it, but it was just so intriguing. I, it was starting to click. And then I didn't really recognize it, but when you're trying to prepare to get recruited in college, really, you're kind of doing your own stats. You're doing averages, the ways that you can leverage yourself, especially if you're not six foot like myself on five yeah. ten. You got to get a little bit more creative with how you're pitching yourself and saying your instant impact, whether for me, it was, I think, defense and rebounding was something that I knew instantaneously. I just like to do the kind of the grunt, <laughs> the grunt yeah. work. But it was really in high school, I would say, they started to cross as um, just realizing my stats breaking some school records and being like, oh, wow, this is something that kind of goes along with each other. And realizing basketball is a very, I think, versus baseball, I think, you know, we all seem money ball and yep. <laughs> predictions and things like that. Basketball is still relatively tricky in terms of doing some predictions and other fun fan engagements that you may see in um, some other sports. Now, when you were growing up, how was your combination of interest in basketball, athletics, as well as math received? Did people mm -hmm. wrap their head around it or they say like, no, you're supposed to be in this box and not also that box? It's nice to come from a community that is really just like, go for it. <laughs> yeah. And very much like we might not understand it, but they knew that I had just a high ambition for everything I did. And I think with my competitive basketball team, um, my family, my school, it was all like excellence in character and academics. And so mm -hmm. sports, again, really was our tool <laughs> yeah. that just led to helped us become young women and young leaders, as my coaches would say, to carry on in our next stages in life. And so I think seeing kind of the qualms with data and information saying it's just a tool I have the echoes of my coaches saying basketball is just a tool, but ensure that you have other tools yeah. in that shed so that you continue to evolve as a human being and, and you're just not stuck. So I really mm. thank them for that. And how do you feel all the years of being part of a basketball team made you who you are today and made you the person who's starts mile high analytics and doing all yeah. the things that you're doing now? Like, you know, what did, what did that experience kind of bring to you? That's a good question. I think you have to do the work. Mm. As exciting as starting a company, I think the characteristics of discipline, commitment, and accepting, I guess learning from failure is something sports 
teaches you quite often. You can yep. work your your butt <laughs> off for for years. Yeah. And often only have a few opportunities, whether that's through a state championship, NCAA championship, or even recruiting, to just short, quick moment to determine a win or a loss. So you really have to appreciate the journey and how far you've come. And I think to even start this business, I really appreciated the journey of my first time trying to get into the sports industry. Uh, The week before I was supposed to start, my offer was rescinded. And so it was very much like, oh, wow, how can I get into this industry, find mentors? That's actually the time I kind of started my company because I saw a coach in the area who was coaching competitive high school. And I said, hey, I could, you know, do your stats, understand, Mm. see how the young women are doing. And so again, I think turning that moment of, oh, I worked so hard to get (laughs) to get here and then not happening and then turning around and saying, okay, what can I learn from that? Do I still want this? And again, I think it also comes from taking feedback. Mm. Sometimes often I will say your coach or your teammates, because of the sense of urgency, the feedback is very direct, (laughs) maybe not as (laughs) gentle as you want. And I can say I've done the same thing. And so really getting used to putting yourself out there, I think connecting with folks like you and other people saying, hey, how is this working? How does this, you know, pitch sound is what's funky about it? And just removing yourself and the personal side and seeing like, hey, this is just something I'm passionate about, want to grow for myself, my community and my interests. And so you have to do the work. I would leave the audience yeah. with. Well, it's interesting when I try to come up with a mental model of like what barriers people have to overcome to get from point A to point B. And by point A to point B, I mean point A being what I often refer to as living by the script, right? You're just doing what you're told. Point B being where you want to go, you know, where you're operating the business or you're living the life that you really want to be living. What are the barriers? And I keep thinking a couple of them are definitely sacrifice, some form of sacrifice in in the form of like hard work. And I think of like, Athletes hitting the gym when they'd rather be yeah. out having a beer with their Sleep, friends on right. the patio <laughs> or sleeping, <laughs> or sleeping or something like that. And then um, I think of kind of uh, overcoming some form of rejection, some form of failure. My sport back when I was a kid was baseball. A good hitter in baseball only gets a hit three out of ten times. A three hundred batting Ooh. average is considered a really good average in baseball. The average I think is. 261 or something like that. Anyway, oh wow. You know, the same thing can be said for like three-point shooting, right? Like it's not like school where you're expected to get right. 80% right in order to not quote unquote fail. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but if someone shoots 35, 40% from the three-point line, that's pretty good. Very, very. I see you baseball. You know your stats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I know some of that stuff, but do you think that the whole thing about sports giving you that hard work and discipline, that dealing with rejection and also how to work together as a team. Do you think that a lot of uh, today's teenagers and young adults have the ample opportunities to find an experience of that nature to develop that resiliency and that discipline and self-confidence? You know, I think it's tough. I think, uh, as we all know, we went through a pandemic and I believe we're just receiving so many kind of revelations post-pandemic with how students are coming back to school. I do think I've just seen a lot of articles about how hard it is to adjust socially 
And I think with young adults too, again, the increase of isolation. I do know there is a need for, I think, more interactions. And also, I think, I don't know, I think it's just kind of a worldly event. Like, I feel like there's always challenges each generation has to go through and really determine, okay, what will be our stamp in this time? And I think my generation is really figuring out, okay, our stamp is sustainability, Mm -hmm. building community, finding, again, finding more of our purpose and less kind of the money, the house, the, the cars, all these different stuff. And so I do think it's a challenging time. I also see the kind of, I don't know, the narrative being like, we will build this. Like we will find Mm -hmm. this and it'll be a sustainable thing that we're building. It just takes time. So I think we're in that rough growing period where it's like, you know, we're almost there, almost through it. But there's so many beautiful places and things that are popping up that I'm seeing, whether it's community events in the park, um, again, sports, basketball, and how we interact with each other. So I think it's just getting back to our groove. I like to speak from the standpoint of not trying to ever really shade any generation. You know, mm-hmm. like there's just things I love about every single generation. And, uh, you know, kind of like how every generation has a story and we all have voices and we all right. experiencing things at different time. My generation, it was the challenge of like coming into the workforce when the economy kind of went into the crapper with that whole mm-hmm. 2008 Oh yeah, you know economic meltdown, and it was almost like a meltdown in our like institutions in a way that like mm. one of the, one of the things that I always look at is that my generation we were raised to like think that if we just follow the rules that we would like have exactly what our parents had, and then of course right. that whole thing got swept out from under us. And what I'm yeah admiring seeing uh, a lot in your generation is. To be honest, standing up to bosses, like a lot more of like, (laughs) I think of the movie Office Space, which is now 25 years old and how the boss would just come up and be like, hey, I'm going to need you to come in on Saturday. Oh, and I'm going to need you to come in on Sunday too. And it was expected that the person, regardless of what their plans were, was just going to do it, just going to do it. And I'm just like really glad that someone is finally saying no, like, this is my day off. This is my day to rest or no, I'm right. feeling sick today. I'm not going to put in all this extra and you're not paying me more money to come in another day. So yeah, nope, not going to happen. No, that's good. I think, I think there's power and in intentionality. And I think yeah. that's something that my generation is very much walking or running <laughs> yeah, as yeah, some yeah, generations yeah. <laughs> would say. And I think it's exciting because I feel like when there's a power of intentionality, whatever you commit yourself to, you will be committed to. And so the time you're at work, you're working, you're providing value, whether that's, you know, nine to five, you're an entrepreneur, you have a four day work week. I mean, there's just so much creativity with that. But I think the power of intentionality also just opens up more questions. So why are we doing ways, you know, a certain thing. Like, why do I need to come into the office when X, Y, and Z, or how can we create genuine um, bonds with each other that are not necessarily just tied to going out to the same happy hour place? So again, Mm -hmm. I think I see questions as just more opportunities to learn about each other and just to, again, build on the innovation, but it all starts with the power of intentionality. So I do, I do love that about my generation and just how we're, again, 
growing into it because I think there is benefits of learning from just the older generations from us because as you mentioned before, we will have our similar meltdowns versus if it was already with the pandemic, but then yeah. again, there'll be more. So we can look to y'all as well to really understand, okay, how do we incorporate this to be a little bit more uh, realistic in what we're dealing with and not try to take on all the burdens of the world? Yeah, because people can only take on some amount right. of it. Like this, there's, yeah. there's always going to be a problem that, you know, you're going to say, okay, but I care about this problem, but I'm focusing on this one because I can't possibly right. put time, effort, and energy into every single problem that exists right now. You know, all you can do is just be intentional, you know, even with like little behaviors, such as how do I... Mm build a better connection. Like just think about like the person in front of you, like what can I do to like make the conversation I'm having build like a better connection than just the standard, uh, you know, what do you do or, you know, whatever. And there was a bunch of discussions actually at startup week just recently about like how to come up with a different icebreaker question rather than what do you do? Oh, wow. I see. That's what I'm talking about. I feel like I missed so many good sessions. There's just too many. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, Startup Week is is such a such a huge event and everything, but huge, yeah, so huge. But it was weird. The icebreaker question that I came up with is asking someone, "What's the worst icebreaker question you've ever heard?" <laughs> <laughs> oh, my! I actually have this one. Someone asked us, "What was your favorite word?" But then the hmm. word they gave was like a probably like a a $20 word. I'm like, okay, law school, that's where you're headed. <laughs> yeah. But, I, but in the morning I was caught off guard. <laughs> so I yeah. didn't like that question, but now I just, I joined like a, a word bank. So I'm ready. I'm ready, but don't ask okay. me that question right now. Cause I don't have it, but. <laughs> I don't know. I was actually going to ask you a completely different favorite question. So okay. other than obviously, you know, Moneyball, the previously mentioned movie, what's your favorite sports movie? Oh, wow. Wow. This is going to be tough. I have to say Coach Carter Mm. is, yeah, is my favorite for a few reasons. My second is probably like love and basketball. Mm -hmm. But Coach Carter, I think, really, that movie just kind of represented how being a student athlete takes sacrifices and also how I think the power of sports to impact a community and why coach Carter was so committed to just disciplining the young men um, and teaching them principles that he knew would not just inspire them, but plant seeds for their generations, for their legacy and in their communities. And the second reason why I love that movie was it was a movie we watched when we were going to the state championships oh. so in high school. So, so you got very, that mental connection. Yeah. So I think I have a, a very personal connection. Just I was a freshman on the team, so always nice. To just kind of you know play as hard as you can for your seniors. So yeah, that's yeah. my favorite. And so you talk about this sacrifice, the sacrifice of being a student athlete, which sometimes to me feels like a similar sacrifice to having a full time job, but also starting a business, hmm. or you know just taking on an additional thing, right? What do you think think that sacrifice makes someone appreciate what they earn more? Mm. I think if you 
within your sacrifice, acknowledge the journey. It definitely allows you to appreciate the goals (laughs) when you achieve kind of like the big thing. Um, However, I think I have been, it's tough. I think sometimes when you get in that culture of starting your own business, an entrepreneur, balancing the nine to five, all these other things, it feels like a a half to, but uh, my mom has always said, don't allow your blessing to become a burden and Mm. really just appreciating that current moment because nothing is guaranteed. You know, you (laughs) you might fail, it might succeed, but within that journey saying, wow, I showed up for myself, for my community. Um, I think there's so much beauty in that. And that's, I think, what makes the sacrifice worth it is acknowledging that beauty wherever in that current moment. And so you're probably referring to a moment, I think a lot of listeners can relate to the idea, why I always refer to it as a person who like rides century rides, which is a hundred mile Mm. ride, that mile 68 moment. And what I mean by it is that you're you're getting kind of tired. You've been doing it for a while. It's becoming a bit of a slog and there's still a significant distance before you get there, or you're still Mm. like not necessarily seeing the destination maybe there's no guarantee of the destination maybe there's no guarantee you're going to make it uh when you get to that moment is there any you know when you're just getting tired and you're tempted to just be like uh i, I can just sleep in today whatever or mm. uh, i might as well just drive through that burger joint instead of making a nice right. healthier <laughs> meal what is your tactic right. around kind of being there being present and even as you're alluding to appreciating that moment, that mile Mm -hmm. 68 part of the slog? Oh, I like this question. I think there's a term in like exercise or working out where it's called active rest. So after you have Mm. kind of a really tough lift or you're just doing a lot that week, train for a triathlon, whatever, an active rest really is you're still moving your body, but not at, you know, the same type of pace. Um, as you would when you're really trying to exert all your effort. And so I think at that type of mile 68, I try to find things that allow me to feel active rest. So that's building, I have a best case scenario journal actually, and just kind of writing out best case scenarios. I think often I get in my head a lot. And so just writing things out of like best case scenario of this idea, best case scenario of this meeting, and really trying to I think take in good energy and really breathe out that energy of heaviness or doubt or kind of that sluggish. Another kind of method I do is I call someone, I would tell them Mm. maybe how I'm feeling. This idea is really just not coming out the way I want just to kind of, yeah, just kind of get the mess out. And I think that's really emphasizing my community is such a gem. It's such a gem because I know sometimes you're, you're riding the bike by yourself, but often in cycling teams, you know, you're yeah. with, <laughs> you're, yeah. you have a pacemaker, a leader. So you're not just out there. But again, I think I really try to bust my own mental grayness because I already knew it was going to be long and tough. Those quick reminders, I think, allow you to say, okay, let's go another yeah. 20 and then I'll probably call the people again or write out the journal again and just, again, get that active rest back, back up and running. And when it comes to setting up a community, you talk about like the person you call when you just, I don't know, just need a little bit of encouragement. You just want to mm-hmm. like get it off your chest. Like, ah, oh, this is getting hard. Is it always the same person? Do you have a variety of people? Do you suggest 
that we have like different types of networks connect with people that are very similar, but also people that are very different. How do you sort Mm. that out? Yeah, I think I do try to keep a variety of people, especially when that feeling is, is more doubt or this idea doesn't make any sense. I'll actually call someone who may not understand tech. So that Mm. may be my great aunt, my great grandma. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Really, again, getting just such a different perspective kind of burst my own like, oh, that's not that challenging. I'm overcomplicating it because if I can't explain it to someone who's not in this industry, then for me, that's uh, kind of a flag of like, okay, let's, you know, rework this. And Mm -hmm. so I think it's a benefit of having a range and variety because sometimes you don't know what your situation will call for. And also, I think you don't always need to go to someone who will always give advice. I do think there's a benefit of venting, a benefit of laughing in the conversation. Yeah. And then maybe the second call is that person that you are looking for advice or just that mentor sponsor, um, because it's like, I think you're more willing to receive it after a good laugh or kind of a good vent. Yeah. Well, that makes sense, right? Because we all need to get it off our chest. When there is venting, what is the right balance between keeping it bottled in and never talking about Mm -hmm. it and getting too caught up in like that circular thinking of like how bad this is and not moving on and getting to action. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's a tough one. I think how I try to create that balance is I'll write down like three bullet points of things that I've been keeping in or just have been sitting heavy take a day or two <laughs> to yeah. just leave it, leave it there on the paper, crumble it up, do whatever. And if any of those things are still kind of popping up, like the next week, it's like, okay, maybe I should talk to someone or maybe I should just, you know, I'm curious about this. Like, why does this keep coming up these different emotions or things like that? And I think that's a tool that has allowed me to not get lost in the events because you could probably find 10 things every day, but (laughs) that's so much. So I try to stick to, you know, the three or whatever, if I do have to then and just see again, what I'm really holding on to and what I'm letting go. And oftentimes after writing those three down, it's like, Oh, okay. That was good enough. But if it keeps coming up, like, okay, that's where you need to probably process it out a little bit more, take a longer walk or allow yourself to have that check-in. Focusing on what matters, right? Knowing when something Mm -hmm. doesn't matter. Because I think we all know people who vent and vent a lot about little things like, oh, those napkins over there, they're all roughed up or whatever. And just like, okay, (laughs) does this, does this really matter? And did going through kind of being a full-time student and also, you know, committing to basketball give you like kind of the level of activity to make you say, okay, I don't really have the time and energy to Mm. really worry about some of these like real little minor things in life that in the end are not worth your time and your energy. Yeah. I think everything is mental. You get to a point where you're tired, (laughs) maybe a little hungry. The energy you have is for studying is for going to see that professor or working on your shot and not necessarily thinking about, Oh, I didn't do as well as I wanted to on that tech or, you know, I think really how to have a short-term memory, acknowledge it happened, but then moving on. And I think that's something I try to practice with my own business as a coach 
and really instilling in young student athletes of, hey, this game is not forever, but your mental sanity and discipline is, and just really acknowledging that you have to become a master of that because life comes at us all. And that's why I love sports. It kind of helps prepare you for the the greater life <laughs> lesson. Now, this preparing for greater life lesson, and obviously you mentioned playing sports can get get you there, like with the ups and downs and everything like that. Do you think people get any amount of that benefit from being, say, a really obsessive fan of a sports team where <laughs> they feel that team's win and losses, the people who are grumpy when the Broncos lose, the people who are like, right, really, right. really excited when the Nuggets win and anything like that? I can imagine there is a level of that type of commitment. I guess being an athlete, I'm always like, man, you know how hard it is to perform at X, Y, Z level. But I love the culture that fans bring and the type of dedication. I know the Broncos aren't doing well, but no. <laughs> if, if you're if you're a fan, <laughs> then you get yeah. the good with the bad and the ugly. And I do think it could serve as some good life lessons. And knowing again, there's there's boundaries. I think even as a as a student athlete, it was often you have to commit to both the student and the athlete part because it's easy yeah. to just want to be the athlete or want to just be a student. I think there's also boundaries with the fan, <laughs> and just <laughs> you know, yeah. with I don't know. I think sports gambling is is a huge industry as well, but it's also like okay, maybe not put the whole mortgage <laughs> down. <laughs> I would say there are boundaries to being a fan, but I think there are some lessons you can pull from that um, loyalty. Again, building that community with all the tailgates and just, again, withstanding the emotional waves that come with life. Yeah, yeah, like Broncos fans this season are experiencing (laughs) a good amount of disappointment, but also like the Chicago Cubs just recently had a, a disappointing you know, end to the season when yes. there's hope of getting into yes. the playoffs and you're going to experience events like that. You're going to experience like when things don't go your way and learn, like eventually you have to deal with it. Like no one's going right. to um, comfort you. And it's not like there's a legion of like people driving around the city in cars, giving right. emotional support to every Broncos fan in the city. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would be funny though. <laughs> It would be funny because uh, there are people who are talking about kind of emotional support for entrepreneurs, for business mm-hmm. founders, groups around like kind of the grief of having your business fail, having your business not work mm-hmm. out, or around a lot of the other issues that come out, like issues that entrepreneurs can relate to, such as, oh, there's a really promising lead and a really promising customer, and then they just suddenly ghosted me, or mm-hmm. I had my, yep. you know, my website hacked or something like that, or suddenly got a bad review. And, and I, no one likes right. the business owner that's going to look at every review and then just try to like respond back to every bad review. Right. Like, like, no, no, it's not overpriced. You don't understand this, this, and that, like that doesn't come <laughs> off well at all. Right. Right. But we've all been there. So that's yeah. why I'm laughing. A hundred percent. I've seen isolation as a big issue probably for mm-hmm. almost my whole life, you, you know, before social media was causing it, it was like, it was television yeah. and suburban housing designs and kind of always lived in an isolated age. What can people do like intentionally today to help 
make things better? I think it comes down to authenticity. I know when I was starting out my business, I was so nervous just to describe what I was doing, my why. But when I started to put myself out there and just be authentic and honest of where I was at, I noticed that I was starting to attract people who Mm. I really wanted to be in community with. I do think it's easy to create a persona. That's a very short-term approach because you you have to keep keep that up. And I think that's where the isolation and loneliness comes from, whether you're in a community or not. Authenticity and honesty is the first one. And then I think also really putting yourself out there. I joined a lot of meetup groups or I was (laughs) perhaps tried like a free course, just a week course here in the Denver region and just Again, just kind of got out there with, hey, I was interested in your story and I'm here. And sometimes uh, that's enough. And other times like, okay, like maybe this isn't the space um, for for myself. But I still had, I think, that exercise of, again, being myself, showing up, telling my story in in so many different ways. Uh, It definitely has been rewarding to slowly build that community and just knowing it takes time. Um, and I think that is tough, especially coming just post-grad, you know, going straight into a pandemic. It's yeah. like, oh, I need to catch up maybe on all these social years or <laughs> social time. <laughs> but it's like, no, you're going to have to wait and just, again, um, be patient because whatever I think is good and you want to, I don't know, just build very firmly, it'll take time. And that's something that I'm committed to. But it's it's tough. It's a challenge. Yeah. I mean, it is a challenge because there's that temptation to try to become the person that's going to be accepted because we're all trying to have this instinct to avoid rejection. And, right. but also, you know, right. If you fake it till you make it, all you've made is a fraud. So like mm-hmm. you will eventually be rejected because people will eventually find out like, well, you're not really the person that you're kind of Right. The persona, that persona, the avatar, whatever that you're making yourself out to be. And right. with Mile High Analytics, what is your impact? What is the impact that you're having on the people and the world around you? We aim to be a solution towards our nation's digital divide. And so we do that by mm. being a technical partner to support meaningful business and community impact. And I really want to emphasize community because as much as we love to say business insights, business analytics, it's the who we really focus on and who can benefit from this information, whether it's your constituents, um, educating them in digital literacy, or actually building curriculum for young student athletes or just young students Mm. who like to play So to just help with that gap in math and science here in our state, but also that type of leadership empowerment. I think when you do focus more on community, you understand, okay, how do we empower them to now understand their own data and turn that into information that they can use for their tools? And so really we're about kind of building the tools, showing them how to use it, and then hopefully kind of creating that space and that confidence was like, all right, we don't really yeah. uh, need y'all anymore. Um, and I think that's something I get really excited and passionate about. I mean, I'm a third generation Denverite. 
I think I know these streets. I, I know a lot of these communities. And so it just brings me a lot of joy, really. And does knowing that impact, does that also help keep you going on some of those rougher days and days where, you know, you're, you're doing and you're doing, but no progress is being made? Absolutely. The stats and the skills are always fun, the data visualizations, but being able to draw from the energy of the community, that's what it's about um, because you're not always going to be on. You're not always going to have, you know, the lead (laughs) follow through, but just knowing and recognizing like, wow, this is just some really cool stuff, how the community is engaging, understanding their data, um, understanding all this uh, artificial intelligence. Um, and also understanding the boundaries that come with it. And so that they can create that within their own households or on their on and off the court. Obviously, I'm of the belief that some aspects of our relationship with technology, you know, culturally have gotten a little bit out of whack with the mm-hmm. you know amount of time people spend, say, endlessly scrolling and endlessly watching videos and stuff like that. Now, you talked a bit about kind of the intentionality and understanding mm-hmm. the use for it. Do you see us making progress toward finding a balance where um, instead of kind of just being Luddites and saying, I'm going to totally <laughs> shun all this stuff because it's caused this mental health yeah. disaster or, you know, the people who are just unable to even like fulfill their promise to themselves to like get to sleep when they say they do because they're like watching mm-hmm. TikTok reels for another three hours, making progress toward finding that right relationship where, you know, you're using everything for the powerful aspects of it that that they are you know all this data out there can be used for something good without kind of you know suckering you in and and costing you right. like years off of your life by the time it's all said and done mm. i i think we are i think we're seeing a lot more apps out there so that you're not on tiktok for that long a lot of reminders again i think we're in that adjustment period there's still so much tech out there that's moving very fast i mean seeing yeah. the music or really just the media industry going through kind of the qualms <laughs> of yeah, tech yeah. and AI and just learning those boundaries, it will require discipline because, you know, let the cat out the bag. It's, it's the cat's running fast. <laughs> yeah. So I think trying to, <laughs> trying to catch the cat and just say, all right, you know, what do we do with, what do we do with this? I think that's a place where we're at and, you know, it's just going to take some time and uh, I'm excited to see how my generation really balances everything. Well, I'm excited for that balance to be found too, because, um, you know, it's, it's just always so much better to be hopeful than it is to just say like, everything's going to shit and, you know, (laughs) and it's easier for someone older like that. Like, like I think the first instance of like some older group of people ragging on the younger generation dates back to like, early ancient Greece. Like this isn't a new thing. There's always going to be something yeah, that's okay. different. That's going to look and be like, Oh man, the world's going to shit. Look, these young people are not going to be able to run anything, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And then, and then usually it ends up fine. And so myself as example, right. like, is it really that big of a deal that we avocado toast instead of cereal and then wipe our face off with a paper <laughs> towel instead of a napkin? Did that really ruin the world? I mean, you know, like, come on. right? <laughs> that's funny. Well, Maya, thank you so much for joining us today on Actions Antidotes. I really hope that you help make the use of data less intimidating to some people, make our communities better, and help build people, which is really one one of the things you're really doing is helping 
helping build people, build people into more resilient, the same way that you were built by your entire experience uh, in basketball. Man, thank you so much for having me and just, yeah, creating this space for me. And I'm just very encouraged that folks like yourself trying to create that sweet spot between <laughs> tech and people. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. And um, I would also like to thank everyone out there for listening, tuning into Actions Anecdotes. I hope that you're inspired today. And I hope that you're inspired today to um, be intentional and to really think about that thing that you're willing to sacrifice for. You're not going to have these X plus Y equals Z clear-cut results like they teach you in school, but it's probably going to end up being a more rewarding experience than most of the other things that uh, life hands at you. Absolutely. 